We want better schools. We want them now. Stand in our way, and you'll catch these eight black hands with Ankrum, Cole, El Mecky, and Stewart. Join us now for an hour or more of talk on education and culture. Good evening. <laughs> good evening. Good evening. What's up, fellas? How's everybody? 9 p.m. Eastern on a June 13th. That's um, Cole's. That's Cole's fan. So he's gonna be. Yeah, I'm gonna uh, mute myself because it's, yeah. it's, it's yeah. It's a little humid in Chi Town. <laughs> is that what that is? Is that like an air conditioner? Well, I know it's my it, no, it's the air conditioner and the fan because I've been gone. I just I came straight from the airport. I haven't, so I didn't. Um, you know, the house just no. been sitting with the heat blazing on it. So we we going to drastic to, to drastic measures. Y'all just gonna have to deal today. But I'm gonna mute myself. Cool, cool, cool. Well, hey, why you, you know that you know there's thermostats from that that you control from like the airport. I stuff, understand right? this, brother. I do. I definitely understand it. You know what I'm saying? Uh, there we go. I understand that, brother. I uh, it just I did it when I was in the middle of the flight with like two hours left, and it's still is hot, Raymond. You feel me? But thank you, sir. <laughs> I can see you. <laughs> well, look. Let's do a you quick whip. Let's do a quick whip around. Yo, text him the directions for all of, all of that climate <laughs> control stuff. The Maytag man. Hey, yeah. <laughs> Cole, start. Go ahead and start with you, Cole. How, yeah. How's it going? I know you just got back. How you feeling? It was good, man. I got to see my brother, and that was just really dope, man. And uh, I just want to say, uh, my nephew. I'm just very, very proud of him. Uh, he uh, has decided that he's going to follow in his father's footsteps. He's going to the army. Uh, and he, uh, luckily, he has a dad that, that has gone through this process. So he has negotiated him an amazing uh, contract, and he's going to be reporting the basics soon. So I'm just very proud of him because he got amazing grades. He got to a bunch of universities and colleges, and he had everything in front of him, and he made his own choice. You know, that's his first big choice as a man, and mm-hmm. we going to respect it. We're going to mm-hmm. respect my nephew's choice as a man. And, uh, you know, sometimes I think people try to control young folks and push them into the things that they want them to do. Nah, we building them up so they can look at all the information and critically think uh, and make their own decisions. So, Mill, your uncle is very, very proud of you, young man. Keep keep driving, brother. Cool. This is this is one of my favorite times of the year. High school graduations, man. It is uh, it is so dope to see families and communities celebrate uh, celebrate our youth. Ankrum, what you got? Yo, so I'm just glad that you know, because this is one of my favorite times of the year too, uh, for a couple reasons. One, uh, high school graduation. Two, uh, because this is two years in a row. There's there's no prom season, so I don't got to worry about <laughs> folks going bankrupt, spending money that they don't have on a prom. Uh, and if you put that energy into buying uh, the first semester of your child's books, I feel like uh, that's more appropriate. But that's no. just me. That's why are you always shaming folks? I actually miss the camel desert theme proms. You know what I mean? Like, why are you why are you always shaming folks? I don't think that that's shaming people, man. I think that that's just, you know, putting energy <laughs> in the right places. <laughs> just saying. Uh, that's when you uh, know you like a professional hater. <laughs> like, I don't even think that's shaming people. <laughs> that's sir, not shaming. Sir, I'll that's, show you that's, shaming. That's just breathing. Sir, I'm just breathing. So, 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 so there's my level of hate. Right. Yeah, yeah. And then there's like the upper echelon level of hate, sir. And that is you, sir Stewart. The upper echelon level level of hate with your subtweet ways 
I'm not trying to. De- I'm not trying to de- say this. Not. I'm in the attic. Well, <laughs> <go ahead. laughs> you know, that's how I recognize you so well, brother. That's how I recognize you. <laughs> hate recognizes hate. That is right. I feel you. Go yeah. ahead, Stuart. How you feeling today? 119th episode. What's going on? I feel that, you know, y'all just mentioned something that is my favorite time of year. I forgot that this is kind of my favorite time. It's my favorite time for social media. I'll just put it that way to watch all the the pictures pop up of people celebrating and uh, the stories and the posts that go behind it. The things that people are saying, you know, that you get to, like, get an insight into people's love for their children in a way that and, and not just their love. It's like I, I remember this feeling, you know, with the older kids like graduating it just, I didn't know how much I was going to exhale on that day. Mm. Like, you know, there's so much bound up in you sometimes for all the years that they're going that direction uh, towards graduation that um, you don't know that you're kind of like, you're taking a deep breath and just like hanging on to get them through the other end, hoping nothing bad happens. So yeah, I'm good, man. I'm happy to watch it. <laughs> I'm, I'm giggling. Nicole Johnson is like she like bang bang. <laughs> but listen, I, yeah, I mean the same thing. Listen, I'm I'm still riding high. Got to uh, to visit uh, Shoemaker campuses graduation, um, and you know our first graduating class uh, as a turnaround school was 2011, and so now you know a decade later. Um, you know, to see these graduates, you know, and every year, you know, that's a, a thousand plus uh, folks who who graduated from there. So to be able to, to go there in a school that had, you know, just let down a community for so long um, for generations uh, where folks were trying to escape being locked, landlocked in, in a, you know, in that kind of problematic situation. And then to see families out and celebrate and outdoors. So it's like multiple things, not only the, uh, the graduation, but being able to do it and it not having to be virtual, to be able to be in person and, and see the youth. And, and, you know, saw them when they entered in seventh grade and now they're 12th graders uh, walking out. Um, it was just fantastic, man. So feeling good, really, really good. Congratulations to all the graduates and the families and communities of those graduates, because I know that's a it's a collective win. Um, it's not individual. It's a collective. So. So, fellas, this is show 119. Ooh. And there's been a lot going on. Yeah, 119. This is like, you know, I remember we were leading up to 100. Now it's like, you know, we're leading up to 125. Uh, but, uh, you know, there's a lot been going on, uh, particularly folks who want us to lie to kids, want us to uh, disregard what's actually happening, both the history as well as the current context and the legacy. Uh, but one of the things that continues to come up, I, I remember, I don't know when Ray stopped having the... Uh, uh, protect black women or support black women. He had some kind of a uh, join, you know, where he had his name. Sir, you, sir, I live, I live and die black women. And so, oh, I, and so I therefore you. I'm always going to protect black women props, every right? day. He can't, he can't, he can't, he can't, he can't take props. No, he not from, not from him, out. <laughs> his sword is dumb. His sword is dull and professional rusty. Hater. It's always out, you know. What I mean? Professional <laughs> hater. What did I say earlier? Y'all made me pull up the, uh, the Dave Chappelle skit, man. <laughs> yeah, he probably in it. Look, look for him as an extra in that job. He probably in that job. But look, we're you know really excited to to bring this sister on, man, um, Gabrielle uh, Wyatt, right? And so 
you know, heard about her work really through uh, the Highland Project, which she established in, in 2020. And it's an organization focused on building and sustaining a pipeline of black women leading communities, institutions, systems. And what she's trying to do is change this, not only the paradigm and again for that individual, but for the collective. She's trying to support them in creating multi-generational wealth and change in their communities. And it's just really excited. I thought about, you know, obviously Chris's work and we'll get into that later with Wayfinder um, and some of the similarities and some of the other work that we've done or seen or witnessed. Uh, that support that. But the Highland Project and Gabrielle's, she's been featured all over the place. You know, um, we were just talking before she came on of like just how much positive vibes people have about her work around the country. Um, before And before this, she was an educator, right? And so she worked at the City Fund. She worked at... Uh, in Newark, she worked at the Walton and the John Arnold Foundations, and she's been constantly look, thinking about like high performing schools and educators and how do we support uh, ed- black and brown uh, leaders? How do we support them in being more bolder in, in uh, implementing their visions uh, in Newark? She was the executive director for strategy, and she was basically supporting high-performing schools that we know uh, based off the credo uh, at Stanford University found that Newark students are posting learning gains that outpace the state's best-in-nation public school system. Um, but before that, she was at New York City uh, Department of Education. Uh, Gabrielle's from Baltimore. Uh, she began her career as a teacher in Baltimore County Public Schools. Um, as a Board of Education major, she graduated from University of Maryland and Harvard Kennedy School. She's the proud daughter of two Baltimore educators, Mary Alice Thomas and Quentin Wyatt. That's that intellectual genealogy being passed to these Black educators, um, folks like Gabrielle, and, and now centering um, the work of Black women. And so really excited to bring her on board Wait, to hey, hear you. I'm excited to hear from Gabrielle. Me too, man. Me right? too. So, and not you, but Gabrielle. So, yeah, so be quiet. And, let the sis, and so be ten, quiet and let the sis come ten on. minutes of her Gabrielle. Time. Yeah, that's right, because she's worth it. That's right. right. She's done. She's accomplished a lot. And I want to make sure folks are aware of what she's accomplished. And now, good evening, Gabby Gabrielle. Welcome. Good to see you, sis. And, um, you know, I want to start off, Gabby, with what's what's missing from that? Like what led you into this work? Um, You know, even before Highland, like what made you? Chris is always talking about uh, we need more folks on on board, school boards. Right. Like how you you saw that opportunity. What made you do it? Because a lot of people cringe. They like I should. I could. I wish. I. But there's something that holds them back. So let's start there. What got you into this uh, this space? Yeah, you know, first, it's honestly where you left off, um, my parents and my lineage. Um, yesterday was the 54th anniversary of Loving versus Virginia, and I wouldn't be here today without the Lovings. Um, the marriage of my parents would not be legal today without the Lovings. They would not have had three incredible women. Um, and so as I think about what led me here, I have to honor um, those who came before me. Um, and my parents. Um, I grew up in a household of educators, as you name. I, I um, asked for an overhead projector as I was growing up because um, I was far from cool. I was a dork. I was playing school at home on the weekends, and um, I loved it. 
Um, but what I also saw was that uh, my parents taught us that teaching is a vocational calling. Um, and I had the benefit of watching my two older sisters choose to become educators and I knew as I watched them that I didn't have that same itch. I didn't have that same vocational calling, but I felt deeply passionate about the fact that I went to a magnet school my entire life. I went to school 30, 40 minutes outside of our community. Um, and I always felt frankly guilty for that. Call me naive. Um, but at the time I thought, you know, it's ridiculous that I'm competing for this coveted seat against other black and brown kids 400 years after slavery, 65 years after Brown versus Board of Ed. It's, in, it's ridiculous that there aren't enough seats, that there aren't enough incredible opportunities that honor our brilliance. And so at the time, you know, I was 17 and um, thinking about this, frankly, feeling guilty. And I discovered a playwright, Bertolt Brecht. Um, he was a Holocaust survivor and he created a type of theater that was meant to make you so uncomfortable that you left in the middle to perform a political act. And so I was reading about him when I was 17 and I said, this is it. This is my moment to perform a political act. Um, I ran for school board. Um, you could run for school board at age 17. That's what I did. I won a seat um, with Baltimore County Public Schools Board of Ed. And I frankly never looked back. Um, I found that what I wanted to do was figure out how to move mountains of resources for educators like my sisters, like my parents, who deeply believe in the brilliance of black and brown kids. Um, and so that's what that's what got me to school board. No, that's dope. And I'm, how you describe almost having survivor's syndrome mm -hmm. of being able to be there and, and your uh, your siblings, or I mean, not just siblings, but other community members and things like that, unable to, I think is really powerful. And a, a lot, you know, you hit, that's consistent, you know. Um, so we're going to jump in before we do kind of do this, uh, you know, this framing like, you know, Malcolm used to quote. Uh, this African proverb a lot where he would say, teach a man to, if you teach a man, you educate an individual. Uh, but if you uh, educate a woman, you're educating an entire nation. And so you started this, uh, this organization Highland Project. You know, why'd you start it? And what have you seen so far? Perfect. Um, well, so I started this, you know, as you named in 2020, um, against the backdrop of what I think of as a year of the expansion and deepening of systemic racism. We saw the expansion of attacks on our communities from education to policing to healthcare to the economy. And I kept asking myself this time last year, am I playing the right role right now? as I see this expansion happening. Um, am I supposed to continue on a pretty linear trajectory as a leader, or am I supposed to take a leap and a risk? Um, and I named you all, you know, I think about my career as being about how I move resources. And I kept asking myself, can I move resources differently? And so I did what I think, you know, if you know me well, I do best, which is go to a set of data. Um, and I was on a mission to prove in quantitative data what I knew from my lived experiences and the leaders around me. And that's that people aren't putting their money where their mouth is when it comes to wanting to honor, protect, and enable Black women to thrive. And so I went to the data first this time last year to say, 
let me, let me say to all the naysayers, here's my data set. And so, you know, I want to start there tonight, frankly, because that data really hasn't moved at all from this time last year. What do I mean by that? Um, a few months ago, New Profit said that it would take an estimated $22 billion, $22 billion in our sector alone, the social impact sector, to bring black and brown leaders up to funding levels that were commensurate with their peers. $22 billion. So that's one example of what it means to put your money where your mouth is if you care about black leadership. How have we performed against that number? In 2017, there is a study on the amount of philanthropic dollars that were going to women and girls of color across the nation. It found that $350 million in 2017 were dedicated to women and girls of color. When you broke that number down, $15 million went to black women and girls. $15 million. That's 4.2%. We couldn't even get to 5%. That's how we're putting money where our mouth is. The final piece I'll name is what came out earlier this month, right? This time last year, we saw uh, corporations pledging billions of dollars, $50 billion was pledged for black leadership to advance racial equity. And we learned earlier this month that only $250 million has gone out the door. So $50 billion promised. Can you repeat that? $50 billion was promised. $50 billion. And 250 million ended up in, wow, wow. And so I'll go one more further outside of philanthropy. Um, not all of us are, are stuck in the funding world um, like I am. Um, and I think about um, what does that mean in terms of what's actually in our pockets as, as black women. In 2020, um, does anyone know the medium wealth for a single black woman under the age of 35? Hmm. It was $101. For white males, it was over $22,000. That's how we're putting money where our mouth is. And so you ask, you know, why did I create Highland? Um, And first, you know, those numbers are obviously sobering. um, But I honestly, in thinking in a mindset of abundance, I think about these numbers as liberating. And I say liberating because I think about Nina Simone. My dad loved jazz. Um, He taught me a lot about Nina. And Nina once said, you have to learn to get up from the table when love is no longer being served. Mm -hmm. And as I think about that and I think about these numbers, for me, it means that for far too long, black women have been at the core of advancing change here in this country that all of us have benefited from. And yet we've been pushed to the margins in nearly every aspect of society, from healthcare to public education to policing to beyond. And yet, we know that when we're in positions of power, we're fighting not only for the interests of our communities, we're not only uplifting Black communities, but we're lifting everyone. All boats are rising. And so as I think about my journey to Highland this time last year, I think about what Nina said, when love is no longer being served, you have to get up and you have to create and serve the love yourself. And that's what we're trying to do with Highland. We're trying, we're aspiring to serve black women with love. Those black women who every day at home and in the workforce are working to create change. And before I get the fellas reaction, though, you know, uh, Gabby, if you could also just share like so if I'm a if 
if a, a black woman is it becomes a part of your network, becomes a uh, a fundee of the Highland Project, like what happens? Like, what is that scenario um, for the sister, all the sisters who are out there who may be? In her, in yeah, her. You know, I think the um, important things to know about us, you know, we're building and sustaining a pipeline of black women who are creating incredible change. And um, you should know if you're a black woman listening and um, that we're focused on women who are working in at least one of the four following areas, um, education, economic empowerment and wealth building political agency and well-being from criminal justice reform to climate change to healthcare and more. Um, we provide you with three things. One, community, um, an 18-month cohort-based experience that's deeply rooted unapologetically in healing and joy, um, but also in building individual and uh, collective power. The second is capital. Um, we're fundraising such that every woman um, who becomes a Highland leader receives an unrestricted $100,000 grant to pilot ideas, to design, to imagine what does it mean to create multi-generational change. And finally, we hope that we set the stage for legacy. Um, our aspiration is that we are a multi-city network, a coalition of Black women who are redefining what it means to create generational wealth in our communities. Awesome. Awesome. Fellas, just wanted to get your reaction about how, how she laid out, how she's focused, um, whether it's her entry point, which is a 17 year old getting on the school board or up until now with the Highland Project that's uh, focusing on and centering black women, um, their agency, as well as their their voice. You know, I'll I'll start off. One thing that made that I thought of is uh, Chris. You always tell a story as you were back in the day, in pro, and I'm sure it still happens now. But as you would travel to different places, people were like, "Oh, I know this person, and she's you know she's dynamic." It ended up being this black woman in this city, but she wasn't on payroll. Like it was everybody else who was on payroll pointing out this sister that was actually giving them credibility, that was doing all this work. <laughs> But they were the ones that was getting paid, you know, uh, but they were like sure hopping on to her coattails. And and it just as Gabby was talking about, that's one of the things that it reminded me of. Yeah, I mean, I remember like going to a lot of places and meeting people who were doing the work, the kind of work that we do always say, I want to introduce you to somebody. And then they would introduce me to uh, a black mom who uh, who barely made it to the event that night in some way, shape or form, but came rolling in with all the credibility of the parents that they wanted to get there that night and whatever. And this was their strategy for getting turnout. Um, they had this person who had credibility, high value in her community um, that was not being resourced. And they would always say, she's so great. She's so amazing. She's so this. And I'd be like, she's so not paid. She's so not on the payroll. How come, how come I didn't met four of y'all? All y'all getting a salary. And she's the one that gets the turnout for you. And it was a pattern. It was in more than one place. And uh, it was 2016. I had a, a meeting with some folks that had resources and they said, what would you do differently you know, than what we're doing right now? And I was like, well, that's easy. I cut out the middleman. Y'all y'all are employing a whole bunch of middle class people to actually manage poverty. And what I think you should do, nothing cures poverty like money. So I think what I think you should do is find those high value people with credibility in their communities and give them money. 
give them some support, give them some resources. And uh, that was the birth of Wayfinder Foundation. You know, um, the, for me, that was like, and, and at the same time, I had come across some research, international global research that was old, but it was consistent through all the years, which is uh, impoverished nations around the world globally. They used to try and give money to men under hopes that he would be a breadwinner and he would lift the village up. And what they found out was he would burn down the hut and drink beer. <laughs> That's what they found out all around the world. What they found out was if you want to lift up a nation, you have to switch your strategy and invest in the caretakers of children, the mothers. And once they started doing that, they started curing poverty in other places of the world. Only in the United States do we still punish mothers. Do we still punish mothers with our, our welfare policy, our WIC policy, TANF policies, um, all of the policies that they're punishment policies. They're not supportive. They're not 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 investments. They're not treating them like uh, investees anyways. So I love this work that you're doing uh, um, and think it's amazing. I think it's time that we should all support it. We really should. You should be asking people like this too when you're in these kind of because this is I'm gonna put my wayfinder hat on. You should be telling people where the donate button is after every sentence. <laughs> you should be yeah, saying, we've got ten million more dollars to raise, so let's uh, let's go. <laughs> org with the donate button. <laughs> Everybody can be a philanthropist. Everybody can give money. Absolutely. Dr. Yeah. Cole got the most out of all of us. You, you should ask him for some money. <laughs> Be the rich one. No children. Man, a lot of details. Uh, <laughs> I'm on this, on this beautiful Sunday, brother. I'm dead. You know what I'm saying? Shame to death with my, my, my guy. Um, well, one, thank you for just being here, Ms. Wyatt. I, I, I'm looking forward to learning. Uh, like, I'm taking a bunch of notes. And I guess one of my questions that I was just listening to um, – um, when you were talking, I was like, I wonder what's been her biggest hurdle thus far. I know you said you got to raise ten million more dollars. So aside from the obvious need to be able to, you know, we got we got to build up this fund. Um, I'm curious as what well, one of the biggest hurdles that you've going through, and, and part of the reason why I'm curious just to give some context, Ms. Wyatt. Like I, I've been putting out stuff for black boys who are the first in their family to go to college or whatnot, and I've been getting a lot of. Well, you, why are you not doing this for black girls? Why are you not doing this for Latino folks or these people? It is. And I'm like, this is just, this is the place where I'm focusing at on this particular project. I'll support mm -hmm. whatever. So I'm just curious as to the type of pushback you might have heard and, and, and how you handled those. Yeah, I mean, you, you name it, I've likely heard it in my fundraising journeys um, today and just frankly, my imagination journey. Um, and so I think, you know, the first piece that comes to mind is, um, Highland's envisioning a world that does not yet exist, right? We're envisioning a world seven generations from now when all of us are um, upstairs partying as ancestors that we see black women in every critical seat of power across the station. Like, imagine what would have happened if every major city had a black woman mayor during COVID, right? We saw that those cities led by black women did an incredible job. Imagine what would have happened if every mayoral seat was filled with black women. And so I say that because people can't, there's many people who can't imagine that future. Um, and I think the journey I've been on is figuring out how do we communicate um, what our mission is and um, a near-term vision of abundance of how frankly all boats rise um, by investing in black women. 
I think the second piece um, that has been a hurdle is that we really are focusing on how do we redefine uh, leadership. Um, and Chris, you spoke a little bit about this as you talk about Wayfinder, right? Those who we have um, knighted in our sector, who have, we've deemed as experts, whether that's of community or of, of um research, um, that's one version of how to define leadership. And when you go to Highland's website, when you check us out a week from today, when we start to go live with more announcements about how we're recruiting, where we're recruiting, I commit to you, you're not going to see a requirement in a C-suite um, role. You're not going to see a number of years um, in the professional workforce. Why? Because my belief is we don't have an inclusive view of leadership right now. And yet we do know that everywhere we go, there are black women holding up communities, pushing forward visions. And so, you know, I've been on this mission with my board of how do we talk about leadership that's different, um, leadership that's focused on what I think of as mastering um, a vision that's just beyond your fingertips instead of being stuck in this like dysfunctional rat race of success, of just adding to your resume, working your way up the ladder, getting the accolades, getting the usual fellowships, getting on the usual podcasts. Like we're focused on how do we create masters of legacy visions? Um, and for me, that means a different, a different definition for leadership than what we've been using in the education space. Mm-hmm. Ankram, jump in there. Bro, I mean, like, oh, <laughs> like, you know, black women dreaming, man. Like, you know, this is amazing. It's amazing content. I'm so uh, excited that you're here, Miss Wyatt. Um, it, it, but it, it brings me to uh, some, some, some school decisions that I made recently. So we had uh, an African-American candidate that would have been a rock star English teacher. However, uh, with the amount of uh, experience that this person had, like in uh, high performance charter schools, uh, person being enrolled in a doctoral pro- uh, program uh, focused on school leadership, I took a risk, man. I'm like, Yo, I don't want you as my English teacher. I want you as an assistant principal, right? And the reason why is because I know that not very many people would have given uh, her this opportunity. And for me to be in a position, me to be in the seat and then invite others at the seat, that's the work, right? And I know that she's going to come in and she's not going to, to fail because she was given an opportunity, right? And it's like a lot of times, all we need is an opportunity. And so if you're sitting at these seats and you're giving folks opportunities, I mean, that, that's what God wants, man. Like we, we need to. Yeah. So, uh, Ms. Wyatt, I'm proud of you. Dope work. And whatever I can do um, in terms of uh, manpower hours, you let me know, because uh, budgetarily, I'm not as well off as Charles. <laughs> <laughs> See how we just make make a stereotype of one night? I'm the brokest person on the screen right now. I just want everybody to know that. <laughs> you know what? I want to add a point here just real quick, Miss mm-hmm. um, um, Wyatt. Because you mentioned something that I, I think we shouldn't gloss over, which is when you were talking about the numbers of the amount of investment that actually makes it down to um, to our people in all of philanthropy. It feels sometimes like they think that that we are doing them a favor by or that that they're doing us a favor. Right. When we're actually really doing the work, they have no foundations without us. Right. They have no no work without us. But um, those numbers were startling. 
for one. I saw Charles retweet the numbers and, and they're startling. It's even more startling when you figure out that that $250 million came down cascading through white progressive organizations who then doled it out through their own system of subjectivity to those who they thought were the good subcontractors beneath them. And then that is a way to control what happens in our community. So there were some people, for instance, in Minneapolis with all the George Floyd going on, some of the primary organizers of the best work in Minneapolis were passed over for all this money that went straight into the coffers of white uh, white progressive organizations who then did some sharecropping. And, 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 you know, we have to call these things out. Sometimes we're afraid we'll get in trouble if we do. I think sometimes we're afraid that we, you know, you know, biting the hand that feeds you or whatnot, not on this show, but I do know that there's some people that are scared all the time about telling the truth about philanthropy, but I'm glad you highlighted that number because the, the work that you're doing now, investing directly in women, is like one of the major strategies if you want change the next generation and generation generation after. So we should start pressuring on the number. What is your budget for this in big philanthropy? Because you're trying all kinds of other stuff. You're trying all kinds of fellowships where people got to be like on their eighth Pahara engagement and their 15th doctorate and their whatever. You're doing all them type of things. But anyways, I don't want to put you on the spot, Gabby, but I, I think you should make that point a lot. Yeah, I mean, you're preaching my language. You know, they um, there's a study recently um, of investments in leaders in the conservative space. And one program alone, it's something like a $24 million budget for leadership development. And it's not just a one and done, you come with us for a 12-month experience, but it's continuous learning. It's continuous opportunities to be in front of funders. It's continuous opportunities um, to um, meet your colleagues and to get better. And so as you like, as you name the progressive space, Chris, like I think about like we are light years behind the other side mm-hmm. in years and in dollars. And when the dollars are named, as we saw this time last year, it's then the slow drip of them. And it's funny to have this conversation against the backdrop of critical race theory, because I think that this this is everyone's fear. Having the dollars move too quickly means that we can critically think and we're well resourced to create our own tables. Um, And I I think that there is a fear um, behind it a fear of what happens when our ideas are actually fully capitalized. Yeah. I had people ask me straight up, what if you train up all these women and they turn on you? (laughs) But they straight up asked me that. Like, and I was like, turn on me. Like, what do you, and train up. What do you, wait, what do you, what do you think we're doing here? We are, are fueling their natural activism what they're already doing in their communities, which has high value, but we're not training people to be like drones. Uh, And I could just hear in the questions that people weren't ready for it necessarily, that freedom, that cognition, what Charles calls agency. Check out his shirt, (laughs) charlescole.com. Dr. Cole, uh, what is it? God damn it. You just, what is it, bro? Oh, the cup too. Yeah, he got the cup too. <laughs> agency. Anyways, invest in agency. <laughs> and it's charlescoletheird.com, but I would take all that free publicity. <laughs> um, folks, if y'all are listening and you're enjoying the show, we need you to like it, comment, and share it. 
Um, and if, and if you if you showed up for Miss for Miss Wyatt, man, show her, show out for her. You know what I mean? Like, let's make sure that folks hear this. And I think, and somebody just put this in here, and I wanted to, um, I want to actually bring this up. One of our one of my favorite people is in here, uh, Miss Akia. And I think that like there's a few things that I'm listening to. One, I'm glad that you have something that is not cutting the corners and saying for POCs or for this or for that and kind of opening it up because. I've seen that happen a lot of times, and then when you open it up like that, other why are you hating on BIPOC, man? And take the and take the funds. I will never <laughs> use that term. Uh, I'll use it in a grant proposal if I have to to get what I need, but uh, don't 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 refer to me to that as personally. But I think the other thing that I want to say too is because somebody is working with a particular group or for a particular group doesn't mean that they care about any other group any less. Um, and again. You would think, and the only reason I'm saying this because I, I feel like you and Chris have experienced this. When I tell people that I'm, you should see the messages that I got when I said I'm writing this book specifically for black boys. Uh, it was just like, I got called sexist, I got called racist, I got called a whole bunch of stuff. And, and it was just like, yo, like, I'm talking about boys who are gonna be the first in their family to go to college. Like, we ain't, and last I checked, we ain't got liberated yet, right? So I wanted to say that piece, but the one piece I wanted to make sure that we were acknowledging was, I think sometimes the enemy or people that don't like it will make it, it, it will feel like if we don't, if, with our language, it feels like we're saying, um, like, just because somebody is a black woman, they're going to be good at this thing, or just because somebody is a black male or a brown woman or whatever the case is. And I think, you know, we're in a time right now where people are looking and like, okay, I want to support this, but that tide is going to move. You know what I mean? That tide is going to like go away. Oh, look, I have a new name. Um, that tide is going to go away. You know what I mean? So what's your hope and dream for the folks that go through your program uh, when the light isn't being shined on black women or black folks or, or, or that national train has kind of moved aside? I think about this a lot. Um, and I think, one, it's about our approach. Our approach isn't focused on the short term. What do I mean by that? Like, there's a lot of um, people in the leadership development space, particularly like in the worlds that we all have sat in that I recently left, right, that are focused on how can I make Gabrielle better so that this organization is more successful. Um, it's focused very much on the short term. Our experience is on the long term. We assume that Gabrielle is going to sit in multiple seats of power in her lifetime, and our goal is to sustain her and getting there. So she's not limping over the finish line to get there. We know that Black women um, are seven times more likely to be seven years older than white women because of stress from work alone, from stress mm -hmm. from work alone. And so our goal is how do we lower that number? How do we sustain women in getting there with their whole selves? Um, the second piece is that is how do we create our own collective power? Um, I think about in your comment, Charles, like it's hard to sit in these seats as a leader of color, period, right? People come after us all the time all the haters come out. And so how are we creating um, a network with women sitting in multiple seats of power who are able to turn out for each other, right? When it's no longer in fashion to be a black woman leading an incredible organization, who are our, who are our allies? Who is um, funding us outside of these traditional sources of revenue like white wealth? Um, that's what we're focused on building ultimately over time. Mm. 
But Gabby, you have a, you know, um, I'm, I know a lot of folks, not just the, the women, but a lot of us who are going to share, uh, you know, the work that you're doing with their community. You know, I, I think about just me personally. I, I have four sisters. I got four daughters. Uh, you know, I have a uh, wife and in-laws and all of that. And I have and most of my nibblings are, are girls. Right. So what would you what's a message you would give to, you know, whether it's my uh, siblings, my daughters, my nibblings like who and, you know, and the same type of folks and uh, relatives in, uh, in this in this chat and other place in the audience. What, what would you tell the, the these graduate? We talked about high school kids graduating. What would you tell these young black girls about uh, about their future? and something that they should be focused on. Yeah, um, I would say that one, you're innately brilliant and powerful. Um, and two, I would say, don't get stuck in the persistence, the dysfunctional persistence of success. Spend your time in imagining your legacy. And that legacy should always be something that's beyond your grasp. And that to me is important because it means that you're constantly learning. You're constantly failing. You're constantly imagining. Um, you're never sitting idle. The third thing I would say is really be honest with yourself. Does your calendar, professional and personal, match that legacy statement? Does your bank account at your organization, your personal bank account, does it match that legacy? There, I'll speak, certainly speak for myself. There are times in which my calendar, my bank account have not matched what I aspire to do and who I aspire to be and what I aspire to contribute mm. to this world. There are times, right? Like we, that's growing up, that's learning to be a leader, but always be honest with yourself. I think about those two things as your Bible to tell you if you're actually doing the work, look at your calendar, look at your bank account. Um, and the final piece I would say is create your sustainability plan now. You know, we started this conversation talking about our lineages and if there's anything our lineages have taught us, it's that without rest, without joy, without a process to mourn and to release, we cannot achieve mastery of our legacies. And, you know, one of my deepest fears right now in this like era of self-care and whitewashing of like get a bubble bath, go to this boutique fitness. Like I did those things. I wasn't restored as a leader. Um, and that's because it's doing basic stuff, right? Like you've got to lean into what's actually going to refuel your soul. What's actually going to keep you going. Um, and that's not something you should be looking at when you're 40 year old to create. You've got to create it now. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> we did a whole show on self-care just so you know, and I don't I think, think we all, I, yeah, I don't <laughs> think we all understood exactly like what self-care was exactly. Yeah. But we, we failed at it. We failed. Uh, <laughs> the, the <best. laughs> we, we didn't fail anything. That's right. I forgot. Oh, I'm sorry. So. I'm sorry. Yoga man. The yoga My master. Bad. Yeah. The yeah. yoga master didn't. Yeah. Care, right? exactly. yeah. So again, self-care is necessary. I think we all believe self-care is necessary. I think we were railing against self-care abuse. I'm going to do a whole thing on self-care abuse. <laughs> like, <yes>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've been working on this paper for 15 minutes. I, it's done. Now. <laughs> it's it's, it's somewhere. It's self-care. 
I mean, I think it's a good point to bring up just though. I mean, black women are doing so much work, uh, not just uh, and I'll say black and brown women and women that are marginalized are doing work, not just in their own personal life, in their families, in their communities and in writ large, the country that goes unnoticed and is invisible work. It's unpaid and invisible work. They're holding so much together. And many times that the concept of of um, self-care seems luxurious. And then there's that strong kind of black woman stereotype that uh, is meant to give you a person who's never supposed to ask for help. Uh, and then we have people of color who come into like into the nonprofit industrial complex, for instance, and don't know how to ask for what they're worth. That's the other thing. They, they lowball themselves or, you know, uh, you know, they prepare a budget for something. And well, I could get by on this much when the next person who's coming to ask for that exact same thing, who doesn't come from their same background is asking for the moon. Right. We need catering. You know, I want to bring Richard Pryor back from the dead to headline of, you know, fundraiser. You know, it's just like they, they, they don't they don't dream big enough. And I think that's that that is a function of always having your work devalued and knowing that people devalue your work, even when you're doing the best work in the room sometimes. And organizing is a beast. Organizing and and community work is actually real work. But like I said earlier, the people who are getting paid are middle class, college educated people who drop in the communities with uh, the right kind of shoes. They get the right kind of, you know, down dress and whatnot. And then they rely on somebody in those communities who has the real relationships and the authentic kind of grassroots and ground roots kind of connections. And then they live off of that. That becomes commodified. It's a commodity. Uh, and I just just for my just for my 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 knowings pleasure. What are the yeah, right yeah. kind of shoes, sir? Since you and Riff, y'all seem to be these fashion connoisseurs. What are the right shoes? Did you just say Reef is a fashion connoisseur? Say it again. That's right. Like you better recognize. You know what I'm saying. I'm just gonna say some of them dress suspiciously alike. You could go from one city, you could go to Portland, and then come to Minneapolis, and you see two people who don't know each other who have that same profile I just mentioned and they, they're all a lot alike. I don't know how they figured out how to dress the same, but anyways, moving on. I, one of the things that, that, and it makes me think of like how many sisters out here, you know, doing work, doing their grassroots work. And within they meet somebody that's actually paid, not doing as much, don't have the connections. And they're like, wait a minute, you get paid for it. Like I'm doing this out of love for my community, out of love for my people, out of my love for humanity. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, and then you find somebody else is like, well, this is a job for me. Like this is a job. Right. Like, you know, I, mean? I could be doing this. I could be doing something else. But let me tap into your network. Let me put my talents in you. But I'm not going to pump resources your way. I might give you pizza and, and soda if you show up. Right. You know what I mean? And bring all of your, you know, your community members and, and network and give me that credibility. But as far as like actually having a different paradigm of what does it mean to serve a community? What does it mean to be a partner? What does it mean to actually provide support? That's lost on so many people that are uh, coming into communities to, to do this, uh, you know, so-called organizing. 
Let me let me do a quick straw poll of the black men on this because we talk about women a long time. We got to talk about men sometime, <laughs> right? Every black man on this podcast right now, raise your hand if you ever had to, not had to, but wanted to and did have to pull out a few dollars for somebody who does yeoman's work in organizing, um, who is who's at it every single day, and you came out your pocket to help them get like rent or a, a car ride somewhere. Yeah. Dinners, food, food, laundry, degrees, right? Like, hey, I need to finish this degree. I I need to pay this bill, right? Like, why is that? We all three, I mean, we all four now that said the same thing. Why? Why do we do it? No. Why is it structured as such that it requires us to do it? I mean, we know the answer is Chris. It's like who's value, right? Like, who has value and then couple that with who has access. Uh, to, to, to certain resources, right? And how you show up and the pedigree and who knows whom, right? And I think that that's like, I think that's what it is. So if somebody's deep in the hood and kind of doing this work and showing up, I mean, I go through the same thing with my young people, right? Like my young people will do, y'all have seen the work that my young people are doing. They'll do these reports and they'll get it all out. And then the funder will be like, all right, what, y'all, what are they going to do next? And my kids, one year they were like, what you gonna do? Y'all make six figures. <laughs> this is the feedback that they gave me, right? They were like, they were like, wait, you want us to go to board school board meetings and do this? We just did six months of research and writing. I'm giving it to all of you people that make six figures. Some of you are millionaires. Like, we just gave you your courage and you still asking what we're gonna do. And you know that, but that's the paradigm, right? Like that's when you when you think about it, it's like Probably, you know, that's that's a valid question for a 16 year old to ask to me to ask, you know, funders, right, that have millions and millions of dollars. Yeah. And I'll, I'll add something to that, Chris. You know, I, you know, we, we worked, uh, you know, know a lot of educators and administrators or lead teachers, like really dope educators. And speaking to several different folks in HRs across systems, they said that black women tended to negotiate the least. Yep, and it, it just right. really struck me that, you know what I mean? Like that the messages that they receive for ever since they're little girls is like you have a place and don't move from there where white women, white men and black men were more uh, prone to negotiate a salary if they weren't satisfied. Mm-hmm. Right. Even if it was a performance base and they say, all right, you've earned this. They found that white men and white women would still push back against that, even if it fit like, OK, here's the context. This is the formula. Even if it was formulaic, it would still be pushed back. And black women would not, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm you know, I'm saying like every single one. But they're just saying like in general, watching a pattern. And when we look at that, it's important to look at themes and patterns. Right. And there was a pattern of black women not pushing and saying, no, this is what I deserve. Right. And so, like, what are all the messages? And they knew it internally. It wasn't that they didn't feel like they did dope work. They knew they did amazing work. They knew that they were carrying their grade team or, their, you know, or different folks on their backs with their with their pedagogical and instructional expertise. But yet they knew that, you know, one, what the pushback might be, what the the, the lash, uh, you know, uh, in response might be. Right. And and then have a coupling that with humility, with the sense of uh, wanting to serve all of that. You know, I, I think it's, it's you know, that's one of the important things that we can also do. We're talking about like when you said before mentorship or sponsorship, part of our sponsorship should also 
make sure that we're like, nah, you deserve more. Like they doing what? No, push for more, push for this, push them to do this. And not just monetary, but whether it's time, whether it's support, whether it's, uh, you know, opportunities, all of that. Yeah. I had a question for you. I know, I know it's bedtime for folks. I'm sorry. And I'm pretty sure all the fellas either know and love as well, but like just a lot of love to Carmita Saman who runs uh, Surge. And what made me think of when you talk about negotiation in Surge as a whole, I, I'm a Surge fellow, like an alum. There's a whole session just on how to negotiate. Like, I didn't know how to negotiate either. And it was a black woman that kind of taught me, uh, Ms. Wyatt's colleague, uh, Camila, somebody that I learned from a lot, who was like, you need to ask for more. Lakeisha Young in Oakland Reach is doing some amazing stuff. Uh, and my and I would say my, and, and everybody else would jump in, but, because we all love this lady, but uh, my Sarah Carpenter, uh, we all love I'm her. And just the work that she does, and it's a whole bunch of other people. My question for you, uh, Miss Wyatt, and I know, I know we, um, you might not have enough time, and I love to follow up with you on it. But what do you say to folks that say, "Hey, how do you want us to support?" So one, give us a task and tell us how we can be more supportive than the people listening. Two, what do you say to people that's like, "Look, I'm working with a different specifier group. I'm working with Latino males or, mm-hmm. or Asian women, right?" And I want to be supportive of you. But we haven't reached where we need to reach. And then, you know, I'm kind of split. And, 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 will we, and will we be supported later? What do you say to somebody that may have uh, that type of um, anxiety around it? Um, you know, just, just with support. You know, like, I, I feel like that's something that might be on people's minds, but they might not ask as publicly. You might get asked privately, but I don't know how many people even just ask the question publicly. Yeah. Um, what comes up for me, frankly, is, uh, you know, this notion that we, that there's scarcity, um, but I believe there's abundance. And so I say to you all, and I say to the leaders you describe, like, don't let them keep conditioning us that only one of us can exist. Mm or only two of us can exist. Mm -hmm. Because there are hundreds of organizations led by white leaders. Thousands. (laughs) Thousands, right, yeah. Yeah, thousands. I can't even figure out that number. Never too too many of that group, right? But too many of that. That's right. And so it's the like, we have to be supportive of all of us achieving our visions, period. Like, full stop. Let's not get conditioned into there can only be one of us. Um, the second is, you know, particularly for Black women, Black women who are listening, Black women not listening in the ed space, outside of the ed space, um, we will right now always only have 15 slots a year. And there's many more women, right, than 15 slots. And that sort of proves our point as to why we were created, um, because there are hundreds of thousands of us who are creating structural change every day in our communities. Um, and so therefore help us to amplify that message, right? Help us to amplify that we need more slots. Um, we need more opportunities to bring black women together across um, different disciplines to learn, to grow, to protect and to heal um, together. Um, and my ask of you all is continue to get the word out. 
Um, you know, we are doing a more formal launch um, almost a week from today to say we're here. We've got the money to start looking for the first cohort. Help make it loud and noisy for us. Um, push out the messages. Um, join us as we start to host events over the summer and through the fall. And, you know, most importantly, give us recommendations. Um, you know, our recruitment approach, I think we're taking a different look at how we recruit leaders. Um, we've curated a group of right now, it's a little bit over 40 individuals and organizations who aren't typically tapped um, by leadership development programs that we all have gone through um, to put leaders forward from the Jeremiah project from, to more than a vote to the All We Can Save project that's focused on increasing black and brown women leadership in climate change. We're going to organizations that are all about empowering and creating the space for Black women to lead. Um, so help direct us to more organizations that we can connect lineages with um, and nominate women for the first cohort of Island. That's so dope. So dope. I really appreciate you coming on. Look, we're going to um, we're going to go into closing thoughts. Uh, Gabby, we're going to save you for last. Um, uh, Mr. Ankrum. Sherry Lucas Hall said, stop being so sensitive. She never said that. She never said that. I, I thought she said that. She never said that. You sure? It's further up in the chat. You'll find it after the show. Go ahead. What's she your closing thought? Is Ray the Ralph Tresvant of this program? <laughs> all right. Ray is the Edris Elba of this podcast. <laughs> oh, my God. Every bald head think they Idris Elba, right? Like every bald head in the world. You know I mean, it's, every it's amazing. Every looking bald head <laughs> thinks it's their Idris Elba. I feel you. I feel all right. you. All right. So, uh, so, ahead, so closing, closing thoughts for me. I'm plugging my new project. It's called the 1896 Project, Separate but Equal. Looking at how things would have been or could have been if things were really separate but equal. More to come. More to come. Oh, this... Bro, does that say wish.com Idris Elba, bro? Please put, put Ray back on the screen in the front of me, please. <laughs> Who did that? Did you do that to yourself, Ray? No, of course not. <laughs> no, hey, that, hey, that dude... Hey, listen. So here, here's the thing, right? When y'all when y'all bring these producers on and y'all give them contracts and shit, it's like doing real funny shit, right? And so those people that don't give them contracts face this kind of scrutiny. And yo, hey, listen. If this continues, I will boycott the show. <laughs> well, I'm the brokers on the screen, so I'll let me go next. I'm the brokers on the screen, man. Uh, one. Uh, Ms. Wyatt, thank you so much for being here and hanging out with us. I know it's a different type of interview, so I think you handled it like a champ. Uh, two, I put an article in the chat for you all, uh, and there's this term called uh, racial weathering uh, from this sister that has a doctor of science. A lot of people don't know, have never seen an SCD before. Uh, it's, you know, there's PhDs and there's also SCDs, but it's really interesting, and you should like definitely check it out. And uh, too, man, I just, I just, I, th I guess just in closing, I think that it's been an interesting year and an interesting time. And I think that we didn't bring it up because I think we wanted to get through what you were talking about, Ms. Wyatt. But I think there is this faction that's trying to turn black and black men and black women against each other. Um, I think that they're, that we're kind of in this space uh, where it doesn't like we support each other or it's like, uh, I remember when, I forget which bank it was that said, 
the $50 billion thing going directly to black women and, and what that would, you know, and I saw a lot of folks get upset, not just black men either, black women, because they felt like it was going to just further build this divide. Um, I want to, I hope you feel supported. Um, I want you to continue to tell us what we can do to be supportive. And, um, and I just wanted to just thank you uh, for being here. And uh, Naomi, I was going to say the same thing. He just Elba has hair. I don't know where, where that happened, but uh, but, <laughs> but, you, but hopefully you feel welcome to come back anytime and thank you for being with us and you know that's my closing thought no appreciate that appreciate that I, you know what um one, Gabby, you know, uh, one of these uh, Black Educator Hall of Famers, uh, Mary Church Terrell, uh, you know, she she would say that we're lifting as we climb. And and I, I view your work as as uh, centering that mantra, that mindset, that paradigm, um, lifting as we climb. And, uh, you know, it's just, uh, you know, every time I, I look and, and and please follow, look at her website. She has some additional data that's really just uh you know, it'll blow you away, you know, um, just as the data that she shared uh, with us this evening. Um, and it, you make me think of, of you know, so many black women in, in not only my life, but in the community, like, you know, uh, folks like Yvonne Savior and Tanya Corbett and Kathleen Lee, who taught so many, you know, we came in, you know, to Charles point, we came in through a concerned black men program to become teachers. So all these black men. Guess who taught us how to teach? Guess who taught us how to, uh, you know, run our room, um, how to uh, build relationships with uh, with the youth and the families and the community? Guess who made that hum? It was folks like Yvonne and Tanya and Kathleen. Um, and, and so I, I just think about all that time. And it also makes me think of, you know, uh, one of Malcolm X's quotes, because, you know, frequently when you hear Feminista Jones wrote an article where she said, like, you know what, a lot of times back in the civil rights day, a lot of even black women during that time, when we're fighting for, you know, civil rights for everybody. Uh, but there was there was a population, black women that were just like, all right, help. But, you know, no, you can't give this speech or no, that's not your role or no, that's not your uh, your place. And it made me think of and she, and she quotes Malcolm on one of his quotes, it's like you don't have to be a man to fight for freedom. Right. You don't have to be a man. You know, despite that uh, centering, um, you know, uh, men often, um, all you have to do is be an intelligent human being. Right. And that's inclusive of, of all of us. And at the end of the day, we were raised with this uh, saying, Pamoja Tutashinda, together we will win, not he will win, together we will win. And it, it takes, it will take the collective efforts of, of all of us. So Gabby, really appreciate you coming on. Uh, we're going to close out with your final, uh, your, your final thoughts. And again, we, we appreciate you coming on and all of your work uh, that you do on a day-to-day basis. Thanks you didn't let Chris talk. Oh, my bad, Chris. Chris, you gotta go. Go ahead, Chris. My yeah. bad. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm wrapped up in the show. I don't... Yeah. <laughs> um, thanks, Ray. Yeah, thanks, Ray. And your, your screen is down, Ray, just FYI. I don't know if you knew. So um, a couple of things like, number one, I just think we should also support you. So once we get all the information about what we can push out, everybody listening and watching, it just takes like one daily action of something really easy to do. And the easiest thing to do is share information with other people. So we know that this is very important work. When I started Wayfinder Foundation, I needed to friend raise more than I needed to fundraise because I need people to open doors. I need people to like send the information out. So within the next week or so, I think that's what you say, Gabby, we're going to have more information. I want everybody listening and watching just to make a self-commitment right now. We're just going to push this out. 
We're just going to push it out to our, our, our Facebook friends, our family, especially anybody that we know that is in a position to help to also do more and help. So I just want to put that out there. That's the way that these things work. Two, I think we should make connections between people. So I'd love to introduce you to um, Nakima Levy-Pounds, yeah. who um, or Nakima Levy-Armstrong, now I'm sorry, who um, leads Wayfinder Foundation in Minneapolis um, and is connected to people in Louisiana and great women doing things in California and all across the country because y'all should all know each other. Fellowship is also the other yeah. thing that makes these things grow and work. Um, and that's the way it works. You know, uh, back in the day with Mary McLeod Bethune and Lucy Craft Laney and, you know, uh, uh, um, um, Charlotte Brown, the others in, the, in that group, whatever. They, they all knew each other. They built some stuff separate and together. So we want to do that. Also, I just wanted to make this little one little historic note because you started this out with an interesting historic note in the beginning. And as the only, you know, as the, the token beige person on this podcast, I feel the need to like just raise up this one little story. So you had mentioned the Loving case right recently. So, I'm, you know, I'm going to take I'm going to take beige privilege for a moment. And just say to you all what I need you to know is that the anti-miscegenation laws that were on the books in the United States mm. lasted all the way up until the year 2000 in Alabama. And in your lifetime, they put it on the ballot multiple times to strike it down out of the state constitution and the public in Alabama would not vote it out off, to, <laughs> off the docket. So in your lifetime, it was still literally a law on the books against uh, 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 interracial marriage. So I just it's wanted gonna to be, go back. To this. It's going to be illegal to teach that in schools, bro. You're going to get and we about this about point. Every ten years, they come up with something new, right? That 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 shows themselves. So when they show us themselves, we should believe them. And right now we're in another moment in time. The <laughs> not the first time, the first 400 years, right? <laughs> not, not the first time, right? Like, yeah. We should believe them. They're telling us again something we need to know. Anyways, that's what I got for y'all. Got it. Thank you. Gabby. Well, thank you guys for letting me come in and sip my tea with you this evening. Um, you reminded me a lot of um, the name of the organization. Um, and I know my cousin Sam is on from Baltimore right now. Um, I named the Highland Project after my dad and our Wyatt family. Um, we grew up, my dad grew up going to Highland Beach. Um, and it was the first black enclave um, in Maryland for black leaders to rest, um, to be in community, to crab, to throw jokes at one another. And that's what you've shown me tonight. Um, and that's what I aspire for Highland to be. I aspire for it to be the place to rest, to refuel, to, you know, level set with one another, um, bring us down a couple of notches and we need to be brought down and back, brought back to earth. Um, but thank you for embodying for me um, what I hope Highland feels like um, to every leader who interacts with it. Um, and I leave with the quote that we started with from Nina Simone, you have to learn to get up from the table when love is no longer being served. Um, I want us all to keep serving love to one another to get up and create our own tables. Um, so I'm excited for what's ahead. I'm excited to continue to be in community with you guys. Thank you for tonight. No, absolutely. And you see uh, Gabby's uh, Twitter handle in, you know, on the screen there, GL underscore Wyatt. Follow her so you can get this update. Make sure you visit her website and share in our communities. You've been at the table with us, with eight black hands, mm -hmm. with love, with power, in community. Uh, for the 119th episode. Uh, thank you all and have a great night. You have been listening to the Eight Black Hands podcast. 
with Ankrum, Cole, El Mecky, and Stewart. If you like what you heard, follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at 8BlackHands1. Thank you for listening. <laughs>